Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for who you are, for your goodness, and for your presence. Thank you that you are a God who is for us. God, would you open our ears to hear what you have for us today. Open our eyes to see what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, rookie mistake. I left my first page on the seat. <laughs> we are uh, wrapping up a mini-series today uh, called In the Making. Um, last week, Pastor Jeff spoke about how we can take a posture of opening ourselves and our lives up to God using the framework of heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jeff showed us how we can train our lives to be open and receptive to the light of Christ and his work in our lives. And two weeks ago, uh, we started this little mini-series, and I talked about how we are all people who are in the making. We're not a finished product yet. Um, we haven't arrived. We are constantly in this process of becoming a certain kind of person. And the question was, what kind of person do you want to be? What kind of person do I want to be? And we learned through the story of David that he treated his present moment, he treated his now as though it actually mattered, as though God would actually use his present daily, routine, mundane um, moments in life to prepare him for whatever God had in mind. And we learned that our little decisions each day are important because they do shape us into the kind of person that we are becoming. We began looking at this character of David in the Old Testament, and we learned that he is not a superhero. He was a regular person, just like you and me. Uh, in fact, David quite often got overlooked, got rejected. People did not think highly of him initially. And yet God saw something remarkable in David that no one else saw in him. And he was able to use David to accomplish great things. So as we take another look at David's life today, what we're interested in exploring is this question. What is it about David, or what was it about David, that got God's attention? It's no secret, if you're familiar with, with his story, if you're not, this afternoon, read through First and Second Samuel, it's a great story. But if you're familiar with his story, it's no secret that God helped him a lot. He paid attention to him. He blessed David immensely, and he used him to bring about good in the world. Who of us wouldn't enjoy that kind of relationship with God, that kind of closeness and life with God, having God on your sight, on your side to fight for you, to help you, to bless you, and to use you for something greater than yourself? Um, I don't know about you, but I want to know where I can sign up for that kind of a life. And if you're a Christian, there's really nothing more appealing than knowing that you have a greater purpose, knowing that you are invited to be part of a much bigger story than just yourself. And David got to be part of that. Wouldn't it be amazing if God chose you, if God chose me, to accomplish a part of his bigger story, his big purpose in your corner of the world? Now I get it. Maybe you don't want something that big. Maybe you don't want to be the next king or the queen or go off into a literal battle facing a literal real giant. Maybe 
You just want God to notice you, to pay attention to you. Maybe at the core, you simply want to be noticed by God the way God seemed to notice David when no one else seemed to notice him or think much of him. And that's what I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this morning. What was it about David that got God's attention? Out of all his brothers, out of all the other soldiers facing Goliath, out of all the other kings of his day, what was it about David? And I think we might find the answer surprising. Um, Our text for today is actually just one verse. We're going to be looking at a passage from the Bible today um, in the book of Acts. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you may think this is a little strange because the book of Acts is in the New Testament and David's story is in the Old Testament. The book of Acts, in fact, was written more than a thousand years after the story of David. And so why talk about David thousand plus years later? Well, the author of the book of Acts was teaching both Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians history of the Jewish people. And when he talks to them about David, he pinpoints the answer that we're looking for. He tells them what made David stand out. And here's what it says. Acts chapter 13, verse 22. It says this about David. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. The thing that set David apart was not his intellect, wasn't his strength, his athleticism, his ability as a warrior, his skill in music or poetry, or his good looks and his money. It's true, he had much of that going for him. But that is actually not what made him stand apart from other people. What set David apart was his heart. He is known in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. And earlier on in the story, a couple of weeks ago, we're reminded about what God pays attention to. As as the prophet Samuel is looking for candidates to be the next king, God keeps saying, no, that's not the right person. No, that's not the right person. That's not the right person. He says, but they're the whole package. And God says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now that sounds nice, right? But what does that even mean? What does it mean for God to look at the heart? Or what does it mean to actually be uh, a woman or a man or a child after God's own heart? We're not talking about the physical organ, heart. Ancient Hebrews knew about that. But rather, the Bible speaks metaphorically of the heart as your command center. It's the, it's the CPU of your compute. No, I'm not going to go there because I'm going into language that I don't even understand. It's the command center of your life. In ancient Hebrew culture, there was no concept of the brain. And so the metaphorical heart is where we think. It's where our emotions come from. And as one Hebrew scholar explains, I love this, he says the heart, according to the ancient Hebrews in the Old Testament, the heart is also where we make choices motivated by our desires. 
We make choices that are motivated by our desires every single day. How you spend your money, your free time, which relationships you invest in, where you do your shopping, how much effort you put into your work or your study. All of our decisions are motivated by the desires of our hearts. And the desires of our hearts is ultimately what is most important to us. It's what motivates us. It's what drives our values and our decisions and our, and our morals. So the question is, what motivates you? What drives your values and your morals and your decisions? What is most important to you? As Christians who grow up in the church, it might be easy to say, well, God is most important to me. And, and maybe that is true. But I think a lot of times it's easier said. We like that idea, but it's actually much harder to live out, right? Are your desires primarily serving your own agenda? Or are your desires tuned into and pursuing after God's heart? That's what will dictate the answer to the question, what is most important to you? Whose agenda are you serving? I think, um, if I'm quite honest, if this Bible verse were to describe the default broken position of my own sinful heart, it might say something like this, Rick, a man after his own heart, right? Maybe you can relate your name, a man or a woman after your own heart. When it says that David was a man after God's own heart, it means that what mattered most to David was God and the things that God cares about. David wanted God's agenda to become his own agenda, not vice versa. And I think that's the problem uh, that I sometimes struggle with. Maybe you do too. We want our agenda to be God's agenda rather than allowing his to, be, to become ours. And again, you might think, well, that sounds great for David. But if I'm honest, that's not really my reality in school or my workplace or my relationships or my free time which may be true because the default of our broken nature fixates on our own interests and our own agendas. In fact, it's the original sin in page three of the Bible, Genesis three, that says, I want to choose for myself, apart from God, what I think is good. It says that I'm after what I want, what I think is important, what I think is valuable, what I think is right in the moment, it's after my social status, etc. To discern, to determine for ourselves what is good in our own eyes apart from God, it's the oldest sin in the Bible. And yet it still infects every heart today. But here's the thing. At some point in our lives, at some point on our, on our highway of life, we encounter another road that merges. We, we encounter a crossroads. We run into God's heart at some point in our life. Maybe we hear about it through a friend. Maybe we grew up with a family who has taught us about God's heart. Maybe a neighbor invited us to church. Maybe we hear about it at youth group, if you go to youth group, or we sing about it at church, or we sit and listen to a pastor talk on and on and oh, talk about this God who has a great plan, a way to live, a mission for us to join, a new way of being. 
And through these different experiences in our life, we start to get glimpses of what's important to God. As, as Jeff mentioned last week, when we learn to open our heart, our soul, our strength, and our mind to the Son of Jesus Christ, to the Son Jesus Christ, we begin to understand the things that God values, the things that he starts to unfold. And when we encounter God's heart, when we have these moments of encounter with God's heart, it sparks something in us, right? But even when we learn about God's heart, we still need to choose whether or not we want to trade in our agenda and take on his agenda. Again, the default is that we're either clearly after our own heart or maybe we're kind of standing in that in-between space. We're directly in between our heart's desires. We want to keep one foot in there and we want to keep one foot after God's desires. In fact, we know that we're solidly stuck in between our heart and God's heart when, here's a few examples, when your yes to God is conditional. When you say to God, yes, but, or yes, if. We know we're solidly stuck between our heart and God's heart. When you kind of treat the Bible like a buffet, we kind of pick and choose what we want, and we leave the challenging parts that make us uncomfortable out. We know we're stuck between our heart and God's heart when we only move towards God's heart when it doesn't actually cost us something or how we live on a Sunday or at youth group or at our small group is not really consistent with how we live the rest of the week. And most people, um, they tend to be content trying to live in this in-between space with just enough of God's heart to feel good, but plenty of our own to keep things in our control, to keep things comfortable, to keep things in our minds safe. And again, back to the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden, the question comes down to, do you trust that what God has in mind for you is actually good? Or are we more interested in grabbing hold of what we think is good apart from him? Maybe keeping the lordship of Christ near enough, but just at arm's reach, at arm's length. And that's precisely what actually set David apart from so many people listed in the Bible. If you read through uh, the book of Kings or Samuel, it gets kind of depressing because you just see king after king after king or judge after judge after judge who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And there's, that's the only blurb that's written about them, right? But that's what's precisely what set David apart from so many people. David was sold out on God's heart. He was committed to running after God's heart with all that he had. He was all in. So does that mean that David was perfect? Does it mean that he was always making good moral decisions? Does it mean that David never pursued his own selfish agenda? Absolutely not. Far from it. In fact, if you know the story of David, it gives us a window into David's lowest point in life. A scandal that was initiated by a moment of passion and lust, but it ended in an affair, continuous attempts to try and cover it up, and an eventual murder. 
I think we'll get, uh, we'll get into that story in more detail in following Sundays um, as Jeff is considering doing a series through First and Second Samuel. But suffice it to say, David was an adulterer, he was manipulative, and he was a murderer. So if that is all true, how is it then that the Bible remembers him even thousand years later as a man after God's own heart? I mean, David did some pretty terrible things. Why was David not listed as just another evil king along with so many others? I think if we were in the judge seat, we might think, well, he should have been disqualified from any honor. He should have been disqualified from being used by God, from continuously receiving blessings from God. And I think if we encounter a person whose terrible sin came to light today, our society would probably strip them of their medal of honor probably take down any kind of memorial statues of them and take down, um, they, they would remember him for their sin, not as a person after God's own heart. And so we're back at that main question that I'm wrestling with. What made David stand out to God? Clearly, it wasn't his perfect moral upright standing. He clearly had some issues, right? But what stood out about David is how he responded when someone confronted him with that dark sin. A courageous prophet named Nathan, at some point in the story, addresses the elephant in the room. And he confronts David with his sin. Now, David, in his position of power, think about the lengths that he has gone to cover up his sin. He's had a man murdered just to cover it up. In his position of power, he probably could have just hired another hitman and make the problem go away, right? Gotten rid of Nathan. Why not just make it go away? David has so much to lose. He's got his reputation. I mean, he defeated Goliath. He's known as the best king of Israel. He's got a lot to lose with his reputation. Why not just make that one problem go away? Self-preservation would be the default, right? But David doesn't do that. And that's what makes him stand out. He stops trying to make the problem go away. He receives the confrontation, acknowledges his sin, and confessed it in an honest prayer, which he did not keep secret. We still have that prayer of confession today. It's called Psalm 51. And he turned from going after his own selfish heart back to pursuing the heart of God and the agenda of God. But again, if you know his story, this didn't mean that God took away all the consequences of his sin, right? David actually experienced real hardships, consequences of the bad decisions he had made. But because he turned back to God, his sin did not have the final say in his story. Again, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis that I mentioned a couple weeks ago. C.S. Lewis, author of many books, including Chronicles of Narnia, he says, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you're at and change the ending. God forgave David. He spared his life. And in fact, he continued to bless him to the day he died. David was a person who was in the making right up until his last day. And David is still known as a man after God's own heart. 
Here's just a few examples of how David pursued God's heart and pursued God's agenda instead of his own through his life. As a young boy, when in the pasture, David was the best shepherd he could be, serving God, taking a lot of that free time to sing to God, trusting in him. He nurtured that prayer life, that scripture life out in the field. He went after God's heart. Years later, when everyone feared for their lives, David honored God's name and risked his own life fighting Goliath. He went after God's heart. When David had been declared the next king, while Saul was still the actual king, he could have taken the crown for himself, but he honored the authority of Saul and ultimately God. He went after God's heart. And when David messed up, not if, but when David messed up by committing adultery and murdering a man, he mournfully confessed it. He fully turned his ways around and he went after God's heart. Each of those examples took a lot of courage. But when it came down to the wire, I don't think, this is my speculation, but when it came down to the wire, I don't think the decision was hard for him to make. Because at some point in that highway of life of David, he encountered God's heart. And at some point on that highway of life, he made the decision that God's agenda was actually much better than what he could imagine. At some point, he made the decision already to be all in. Somewhere along that process of being in the making, David chose to trust that God is always good, even when life is not, like that song we just sang. And so David decided that whatever God asked him to do, he would obey, regardless of the cost to himself. So why did God pay attention to David? Why was he able to work so powerfully in David's life? Because David was all in. And I think the question for us to wrestle with every day is, are we all in? Are you all in? Um, I like to think of a diving board example. Do you remember the first time that you jumped off a diving board? Maybe you still haven't. That's okay. No shame. I, I vaguely have a memory of that, but maybe you remember this, this process of you walk to the edge of the diving board and you look down at the water and you hesitate and you go back, right? Or you get to the edge, uh, maybe you take one foot off. There's hilarious fail videos on that on YouTube. Um, but there's this hesitation, right? And at some point in your life, on that platform, you had to make a decision. You realized, I'm either all in or I'm not. I either actually jump off or I decide not to. There's no kind of half jumping. Again, fail videos, look them up, they're great. And for some of us, maybe we're on that edge of the diving board when it comes to God or God's agenda. We might be interested but we haven't made that leap. We might know of God, but don't really know him relationally. We might be a fan of Jesus, but we're not sure if we're ready to be a follower of Jesus. We like the idea of being used by God and receiving his blessings, but we're unsure if we can completely trust that God is good. We want him to be our Lord over this area and this area of our life, 
but I'm not sure if I want him to be Lord over this one area of my life. Or maybe, maybe we believe that we've made so many mistakes that God could possibly never use us. We've kind of sinned our way out of his grace, we think. Wherever you're at, church, here are some invitations of Jesus himself as recorded in the Gospels. These are random ones that I I looked through the Gospels and I heard the invitations of Jesus. So wherever you're at on that diving board, if you've already jumped in, maybe you've retreated, maybe you're hesitating, maybe you think too little of yourself, hear these invitations from Jesus. Matthew 16, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. John 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to its fullest measure. John 14, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 4, he says, Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 6, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I could go on. We could do an entire sermon series on the invitations of Jesus. But does this sound like a God who is holding out on you? No. Does this sound like a God who is good and whose heart is worth running after? Imagine if you said yes to God's heart and you made that step to be all in. What could be possible in your life? 